ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. We talk gear, on and off season preparation, tips and tactics, conservation, and finding inspiration in the outdoors as sportsmen and women. Thank you for joining us as we share our love for all things Western hunting. Hey guys, this week I sit down with registered dietitian Kyle Camp and owner of Valley to Peak Nutrition. We get into diet, nutrition, some basics, and specifics to our pursuit on the mountain as hunters. Enjoy the episode. So we're on with Kyle Camp, registered dietitian, excuse me, and uh, owner of Valley to Peak Nutrition. Kyle, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. I appreciate you uh, you having me on. How are you? I'm, I'm doing wonderful, man. Just finished my workout, and uh, the wife is making some steaks, and unfortunately, I had to wait to eat. <laughs> so I'm, I'm dying from the smell of those steaks right now, but yeah, we're all good, man. Yeah, I was going to say, you're, you're glutton for punishment, man. If you postponed eating some steaks to do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's about the way it goes, though, man. Trying to, trying to fit this recording schedule into life and you know it, it uh yeah you just got to squeeze it where you can squeeze it sometimes it's easier said than done but you're a guy that that burns it at uh both ends of the candle too so with your day job and running uh v2p i'm sure you know how it goes that's right sometimes man it's a it's a nature of the beast quote unquote but you also enjoy the work so you don't mind it too much however i have to be honest that if if somebody asked to do a meeting and all I smell was steak in the background, I would tell them I will be on that meeting just as soon as I eat the steak. <laughs> That's what she said. She said, can you put it off 10 minutes? Absolutely not. <clears throat> so we'll suffer a little bit, but that's all right, man. I got, uh, got everything I need and the dog at my feet. So we'll get this thing rolling. Why don't we jump in, man? Why don't you give us a little bit of background on yourself? Uh, kind of an intro for the folks that uh, may not know who you are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, you sort of already mentioned my name. My name's Kyle uh, Camp. I, I live in Boise, Idaho, with my my wife and my my little boy, and um, I didn't didn't grow up in the West. And so, you know, kind of what I think is going to be relevant to your listeners, and even how you and I sort of linked up, was the 
outdoor based stuff and, um, and hunting and just everything that kind of goes with, um, outdoors and mountains and, and, and backcountry type of events. So was not raised in that. As a matter of fact, I was, I'm about as complete polar opposite as you can get from that. I grew up in the Midwest where it's completely flat in Southern Indiana. And, um, uh, grew up as a young, a young kid there, not doing anything outdoors whatsoever. And, uh, the way, the way that I sort of got introduced to, um, the, the things that I enjoy so much now, my hobbies was, uh, when I was, when I was, um, 21, um, I, I became a, I went to school to be a dietitian and to be a dietitian, you have to do a residency program. And so you're placed for that. That's, that's not really something you get a whole lot of say in. Um, so they told me, you know, you're going to be going out to Idaho. And I thought, Oh my gosh, what a death sentence. And, uh, I had every intention of coming out here. I live in Idaho still live in Boise and, um, uh, coming out here, getting my, my schooling done and then packing my bags and heading back, uh, back to the Midwest. But, you know, in, in the, in the middle of all of that, um, this God, had bigger plans for me. And I, I just fell in love with, got introduced to the outdoor community through some friends, took me up to a mountain town. We did some backpacking. I did some mountain bike riding and just fell in love with it. And later got introduced to the hunting aspect of it. And of course my, my role as a dietitian and trying to, you know, eat nutrient dense, good, good quality food. I thought, man, what a better way to enjoy time in the mountains get my own protein and, and, you know, and, and hike in the process of it all. So, you know, started hunting and, um, fishing and camping and backpacking and just fell in love with it all. Awesome, man. So what, uh, what makes you tick in the hunting world, man? What's your, what's your animal? I, well, I have to, so I, you know, I started initially, it was a very slow process and I guess kind of background, backing up a little bit and we may delve into this early. So I apologize for jumping ahead, but you know, I grew up, um, I'm a dietitian now, but I didn't grow up eating healthy at all or even anything that closely resembled a healthy lifestyle. Uh, as a matter of fact, what led to me being a dietitian was, uh, I was, I was 21 years old and I weighed 270 pounds. I'm five foot six. And so I'm, I'm a short guy and you can imagine, you know, what that did to my frame being, being that heavy and at, at such a short, short height. And so I started making some changes in my diet and they were pretty small in the grand scheme of things at first. And then I just really got interested in wanting to know why it worked. You know, how, how did it work? Right. I mean, most people that I work with and even myself at that point in time, you know, like I, I knew, I knew that an apple was better for me as a snack than three slices of pizza, but I wanted to know what happened in my body to make it better. Uh, so I lost 140 pounds making these small changes over a series of months. And then eventually months later, enrolled in my college. And that's what led to me being a dietitian. So uh, fast forward to the hunting piece of it. I met my wife and her family lives in Eastern Oregon and subsists on on wild game. So it was the first time I'd ever really had it. And so my, my father-in-law sort of exposed me to that side of the hunting world. And so I, I, I just thought, well, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try to tackle this bit by bit and just see how it unfolds. So started out by taking my hunter's ed one, one winter, it was really, really, really snowy winter up here in the Pacific Northwest. So I had a ton of time and just started taking hunter's ed on, on, um, through online courses and finished all my coursework there and thought, well, I'm going to sign up for a field day. So I signed up for a field day. I thought, well, I'm going to, 
I'm going to put in for one of these tags everybody's always talking about. So I put in for a tag and, um, and any of your listeners that hunt are going to hate me for this, but drew a good tag my first year. <laughs> and, uh, never do it, that again. It, yeah, I know it is. It is a, a cow elk tag, not too far out of here. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of guys would, you know, borderline call it a gimme. I don't, but, you know, I don't know if that's true. I, I didn't end up harvesting anything that, that year, but to answer your question, what, what do I like to hunt? What's my gig? I, 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 I uh, rifle hunted a couple of years, had a couple of friends invest a ton of time in being, you know, sort of convinced me I should try bow hunting. So I started shooting my bow sort of the same bit by bit process and, um, started archery elk hunting. And as much as I love anything to do with the outdoors, whether I have a tag or not, I absolutely love bow hunting in September for elk. Man after my own heart. Yeah, there's just not much. There's just not much like it, man. I mean, everything from everything from the weather to the nature of that type of hunting to being that close to something like a bull elk. You know, there's just you're almost like half half your brain thinking, man, I just want to sit here. I don't even want to process how am I going to draw back and, and try to get a shot of, I just want to sit here and watch this. It's, it's just the most phenomenal thing I've ever seen. And you know, the first time I'd ever had a, an elk come in, um, within bow range, I was, I was hooked and I was just, I was completely hooked. And so I, I hunt mostly the big game type stuff, but, that would be the thing that I love the most. Yeah, that, uh, and, and I'm probably going to sound like a scratched record to my listenership, but, uh, there's something, there is something magical about that animal, man. I've only been chasing elk for the last couple of years. So, you know, two years under my belt, three with the preparation part of it, so, you know, a year before my first season. And, uh, man, I am, hooked beyond belief it's the only thing that i think about <laughs> it is the craziest thing but to and i can't i can never put words on it but the more i think about it like the social the social interaction of that animal and and our ability to try and fit in those scenarios um the challenge yeah. of that is just i love it man i absolutely love it there's nothing there's nothing i've experienced in 20 years of hunting that that comes remotely close it's just amazing yeah, no, it's it's a, it's a pretty incredible thing. As a matter of fact, I remember the first time it happened. I the the friend that I was with, I said, "Man, I I I genuinely feel like if anyone experienced that personally, they could not not walk away hooked." Right. That's it. So, so how did uh, last season look for you on that on that chase, man? Uh, so it was, it was great. We, uh, so we went out the, uh, we went out Labor Day weekend. There's a group of uh, four of us. We went out and, um, so Labor Day weekend, uh, you know, I'm not sure how experienced some of your listeners are, but typically it's pretty hot in Idaho and it's, it's kind of, it's difficult hunting in terms of, you know, the, the elk aren't really that vocal. That's zero excuse on my part, right? I mean, good hunters still kill plenty of elk the week of September, but um, we, we just didn't see much that week. Then we went out again for a seven or eight day run in the middle of September. And, um, also probably my worst experience I've ever been on a hunt. I had a, we were out the first, the first morning of the first day and had a, um, had a, a bull on top of a ridge bugling and 
out comes this really spunky little uh, little spike <laughs> trying to see what was going on while the big bull was on top kind of going off. And the guys that I hunt with, you know, they've, they've been hunting a while and have been, you know, fortunate to take home many, many elk. And I have not, I've not taken home any. Um, so, you know, the sort of the tagline is I'm willing to shoot anything. So I knew that these guys didn't want it and they knew that I would be happy with it. Long story short, he circled us, tried to get our wind. I had a 30 yard shot. I shot him, uh, 30 yards and, you know, my arrow went through him. He, he, um, he walked off about, he walked off about 40 or 50 yards, started to get the sways and, and laid down. He just, he just sort of laid down right there in the, in the thick of the timber. And, um, you know, then we have this, then we start having this conversation of, do you try to sneak in and get another one in him? Obviously that's the best case scenario. But on the flip side of that, if, if he's not wounded pretty good or dead, then he's also has the chance of just blowing out of there and then you're really in trouble. So we're processing what to do. And long story short, he gets up and, you know, we searched that whole basin for him, never found him. So lost him that was that was definitely probably not probably that was my lowest moment in bow hunting in the short amount of time that i've been bow hunting so tough to watch that one man i don't know if you've ever had that happen but that's my no first, fun at all yeah my first elk season man i uh arrowed a nice a nice five point bull um great blood um tough SOBs and he did this big loop on us and couldn't find him. We didn't find him for almost two days. And when we did, yeah. somebody, somebody beat me to him and uh, decided that it was their bull and took everything. <laughs> so yeah, yeah it's a, it is a rough, a rough, rough thing, but it sounds harsh. Um, and it's not something that we want to experience, but so goes the game. Um, it, it really is one of those risks with all the preparation we do with our equipment, whether it's rifle, whether it's bow. I've heard, you know, people shoot them with a rifle and, you know, never find them. It's just unfortunate part of the game. It, it is. And, you know, like, I, you know, my, for, for me, I was so heartbroken on so many levels. Obviously, I was, I was heartbroken that somewhere there's a, I mean, I know my arrow went through and the arrow had blood all the way to the fletching. Uh, so I know that he was hit. So I hate it. I hate it for him more than anything. I hate it for uh, my buddies because they were, you know, they're, they get as excited about somebody else getting a shot in as they do themselves. So I hated it for them. I hated it for my family. We spent so much time, money and effort trying to go out and hunt and with the hopes of bringing home meat, knowing it's never a guarantee. But, you know, I was just, I was super bummed to lose him. And so you fast forward about, a month later or so, I went on, it was the last weekend of rifle uh, muley, rifle mule deer hunting. And so I, I did end up shooting a buck the last weekend of October. And so I was incredible, even all the more grateful for him. And um, we've been enjoying him this winter. <laughs> That's awesome. So yeah, with that elk experience is there anything that you plan on changing in your game leading up to the next season it's a good it's a good question um and and you know i wanted that you know like i don't i try not to i try not to be overly dramatic right i don't want to over dramatize that situation but if there's something for me to learn in that i i want to learn i, I want to walk away with having had that been for something at least 
And so in that, I think, you know, the, the, the two things that I learned, number one, when he was trying to wind us, he got hung up behind a tree. And so I'd been at full draw for a long period of time. And I think in retrospect, I probably would have spent a little bit more time making sure my pins were where I wanted them to be. So I think just trying to remember to slow down in the moment and check and make sure that I'm, I'm, everything is how I want it to be. Right. That's, that's easy for me to say sitting here on December the 6th or whatever, <laughs> whatever today is December the 5th, but you have this, you have this, you know, you got this elk that you're excited about you've got four guys you don't know if he's about to win you and blow out of there you got another bull on top of a mountain going crazy you're on day one of eight um you know that my my goal in the future is to just sit there and process it a little bit longer and try to get it closer to the shoulder i hit him mid-body in terms of height but i think i hit him too far back is what ended up happening and so trying to make sure that my pins are where i want them before i before i release the arrow and then the second piece is, you know, it's risky. It's it's risky either way you go. But I think if if I can see him or if I can see an elk and I have the chance to possibly get another arrow in, I feel like I probably should make do and, and try to go in there. Um, you, you do you do risk bumping him and him being completely gone. But, you know, I don't know that there's a right or wrong call. Had we, had we tried to sneak in there and blown him out, you know, I'm probably sitting here saying I would have given him more time and been more patient, but we gave him, we gave him quite a bit of more, we gave him quite a bit of time. And so I don't know. We, um, we talked about it, but ultimately we decided we should just give him time because he was looking pretty woozy and he, he had sort of laid, laid down and fell down not even 50 yards from the shot. So we were pretty sure that he was going to expire. And even when he finally did stand up, we still gave him another hour or two. We thought for sure he'd just gone over the ridge and probably died at the base of this ridge. And we went and searched that whole ridge, that whole Canyon below that ridge. And, um, there was, he was not there. So it's, it all sounds, it all sounds so familiar to me, man. Um, yeah. And I guess the plus in that scenario, right, is like I said, is it goes with the game, but at least you take away from it. If, if you're not taking away something, hey, what could I have done better? And replaying those scenarios and what you thought at the time, that's where I think we do a disservice not to the game we pursue, but to ourselves as hunters um, yeah. in that you know lack of evaluation. You know, I think I'd have a real I'd have a real problem a real problem with myself or a real unsettled feeling if my approach to it was, ah, eh, well, you know, and just, just didn't care right. type of a deal. But, you know, I really, that bothered, that bothered me for a long time afterwards. I mean, pretty much up until the rifle season and, and being able to shoot that buck, it still bothers me. Right. I mean, but I, it's not, it's not coming up every single day the way that it was in September and October. Um, but you know, yeah, it, like you, like you said, it is it is, it is part of the deal. Part of it, yeah. So then again, like I said, man, those takeaways are huge, and and unfortunately, there's you know there's a handful of folks that will just shrug their shoulders and move on to the next. Yep, yep, yep. There, you're you're exactly right, and you know I don't like I said before I don't want to over dramatize it, but I also don't want to be the guy that's 
just sort of shrugs his shoulders and goes on. And I and and I will attest to it's not an over dramatization. It is. I mean, these are harsh feelings as hunters as we have, as elated as we can get um, when we do get to put our hands on, you know, that pelt or that bone. Um, there is a somber part of that as well. Um, so I yeah. don't think it's an over dramatization, especially when you lose an animal, man. I, I, I would probably think less of a guy that didn't feel that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you. So um, let's talk a little bit, man, about V2P and and the reason for our jumping on and and nutrition. Um, and and so you said you were five six at two seventy, and I and that speaks volumes to me. Um, the current state, and I'm going to just generalize, so hopefully nobody takes you know offense to it. But the current state of you know call it fitness and nutrition is you have a lot of folks that don't come from a place um, where they had to struggle with those things, uh, with with being overweight, um, with being out of shape, et cetera, et cetera. So it speaks volumes to me that you know at five six two seventy, there's a mental aspect of that that yeah. <laughs> a lot of people can't even relate to. Um, but then in that mental aspect in my head, there's a lot of passion to help people get away from what you struggled with. I mean, there's nothing good about being that heavy um, health wise, but mentally that is, that's a baseball bat to the head. Every time you look in the mirror. No, it, it, um, I mean, you're, you're a hundred percent right. You know, like a good, even a good example of that, you know, you uh, clients and, and even, you know, I work at a hospital too. And so patients that I work with, when I begin working with them, they've got, they've almost got this, this perception that when they lose the weight, they'll finally become who they want to be. All right. This is getting kind of deep, but having had gone through that, uh, you know, I can attest to the fact that you're not, you don't, you, anything, if you don't, if you don't work on fixing the person between your ears, as well as your body, you will not change as a person at all. You will have all of the stuff, all the things that you struggle with may only be magnified after you lose the weight because you're bummed. It didn't fix everything. Right. So there, there's, there are so many pieces. Um, I was going to elaborate on that, but yeah, there are so many pieces uh, to that, you know, I, I can remember for years, years and years and years afterwards, you know, this all happened probably 10, 11 years ago now, but I, rem- I can remember for, for years afterwards, never oh, still always feeling like the 270, though the scale read much wider than that. I mean, I, 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 I you know, I, I didn't, I not only, not only, in, not only emotionally like that, but just, still feeling like when people looked at me, they saw 270, though they didn't, you know, if that makes any sense. No, it does. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, there's, there's definitely a mental, mental piece to it. And, you know, I really, really, this is, this is certainly not to put me on a pedestal at all, but I really, really struggle with seeing quote unquote nutrition and fitness gurus on social media promoting a certain diet, a certain workout, a certain something or another, having had never had to struggle with getting to the point where you're even able to go to a gym, right? I mean, much less complete what they're telling you to do. So, you know, I, I really struggle with that. And, and 
partially is that mental piece you talked about, but the other half of that is, and we may delve into this too, but you don't need to wear yourself out and be on some sort of an extreme diet to see results. Like what, what they're telling you to do isn't even what needs to be done to be successful. Like you, you, you don't even need to do, you don't even need to be that aggressive. There is a, there is a much more, there is a, there is a way to achieve the results that you want to re- achieve in a much more um, sustainable way than yes. what these guys are telling you to do. And that, and, and so we're just going to go right into it. Right. Cause I, that was one of the, one of the few bullets I sent you um, is the fad diets and the failure. And, and for me, and I, and dude, at my heaviest, I was 280. I'm 5'11. I was 280. So I know the struggle. <laughs> um, and that was one of the things that I struggled with was trying to, I, the, I want it now attitude, right? It took me yeah. X amount of years to get to this point, but I want to see results in a month and a half. And the hard part about it is, is you don't, you don't realize that all that time it took to get to that point, it's going to take more time to reverse everything that you've done to yourself. Cause that we've done it to ourselves. Um, and that's a hard pill to swallow. You don't think of it like that. Um, but, but like you were saying, it's not sustainable. The fad, diets or the fad, you know, get fit workouts and stuff like that. You can't do that long term. So you're putting all this energy out, you're working on whatever, you know, X, Y, and Z popular diet it is. And then you fall back because you're not seeing the results. Well, it's just this never ending cycle of I'm trying, I failed, I quit again. And yeah, it's just crazy. And that's and it's extremely defeating, right? And so, uh, one of the, a conversation I find myself having a lot with clients or athletes or patients or whatever is, okay, let's let's say that you're doing this extreme diet because usually they've tried this and they've lost a little bit of weight, and so or or, or they're or they're considering doing it, right? And I say, okay, well, let's let's say that you start on that. You whatever you do to take it off, if you don't continue to do that same thing, you will not keep it off, right? So, so you you have to find some sort of a balance in not only nutrition but also in exercise. That you, when you ask yourself, "Can I picture myself still doing this five years from now, ten years from now, or whatever?" If the answer is not yes to that, then you have to find something different. And I think the other thing that I've seen people struggle with immensely is. They have, they have, we are a very like polar opposites, right? It's either I don't want to do Jack or I need to go completely crazy and do the (laughs) most difficult thing on the planet. Never realizing that what you are after lives right there in the middle and is very sustainable. It is not hammering yourself at a gym. It is not some crazy, you know, insert whatever diet you've heard works type of an approach it's a very modest pretty um it's a very modest pretty doable sustainable type of a diet and most of the time it doesn't involve you know eating rabbit food and just drinking four gallons of water a day i mean that you know um it it is just 
eating correct, stepping away, in my opinion, okay, I'm not the I'm not the RD here, but stepping away from the fast foods and the and the high sugars and things like that, the easy to grab foods, um, and just eating healthy is, is what you know is what I attribute most of it to. How it, it's not that difficult. It's it I mean so it, it it really depends on where a person's at, right? So that could be a part of it, but you know, like, so for me, when I told you, you know, I, I, before I became a dietitian, I, I've lost most of my weight before, way before I was ever a dietitian. So, you know, I, I didn't have any sort of a knowledge as to the, the how behind why it worked. I started making small changes, right? So I would go to Wendy's. I can remember this very vividly. I'd go to Wendy's and instead of getting like a, a fried spicy chicken sandwich, the big fry, a soda and a, um, and a, a frosty, I would, I would go and I would get grilled chicken. I would only eat one piece of the bun. I would get a completely plain baked potato and I would get water, right? That there is nothing in there. There's carbs in that. There's fat in that. There's pro, there, all of those things are still in that. So it's not, I, I didn't stop eating fast food. I just made very small changes instead of eating. I can remember this specifically too. I would eat sweets all the time or all the time, regularly at least. And instead of doing that, I would have one big, not big, like one, one larger than your average chips of Hoy chocolate chip cookie every Saturday. And I would, I would go to this restaurant that had them. They made them fresh. They were delicious. I would take one, I would bring a book and I would eat chunks off of that thing until it was gone. And so it was, and, but I would sit there and I'd savor it. It was kind of like this, not, not like a spiritual moment or anything, but it sort of, it wasn't just me piling on row after row of chocolate chip cookie. There was intention behind it. And so, yes, you're right. I, you know, I think, I think just making some simple changes without going, you know, you don't have to square off anything. There's no, there are no, um, we have, we have, I have another mantra that I use is, there are no, there are no bad foods in existence. You will never hear me to tell, you will never hear me tell you don't ever eat that on a nutrition plan. There are no bad foods. There are only bad portions depending on your goals. Hmm. That I, that's again, I'm not the, the RD, but that is, uh, I'm not going to say far left of what you hear, but it's pretty far away from what we typically hear. Right. Oh, dude, I, it, you're being nice. I'll say it. It's completely different than what the. It's completely different than what the normal, the normal, um, you know, mo is that you read on Instagram, right? It's swear off sugar, swear off white bread, swear off this, swear off that. But you know, and this this is something sort of on the opposite end of the spectrum from Valley to Peak, which is you know I also work with athletes uh, preparing for you know mountain type. Uh, races, so anything from like backcountry hunters to ultra marathoners to ski guys or whatever, and a lot of people, even athletes, are worried about eating carbohydrates. And car- carbohydrates are only bad, um, only good, bad, or neutral depending on the muscular demand, right? So when the muscular demand and the workout is high, carbohydrates are being used as a jet fuel. Whenever the carb, whenever the workload is low, and you have a rather sedentary job. Well, now all of a sudden they become in excess. That's a very key word in this statement. In excess, that's when they become a problem. And we seem to struggle with, you know, it's either carbs are God awful, don't eat any of them, or I'm going for the gusto, I'm eating whatever I want. Never in that do we talk about, well, you know, based on my day-to-day life, how many can I have and still hit all of my goals? 
right? And and that that number exists. And you know, I've seen it personally for myself. I've seen it in patients at the hospital I work at, and I've seen it with a number of clients and athletes that I work with. Um, they are still successful in weight loss, including a cookie a day in, right? You were talking earlier about sustainability. If you tell me an Oreo is your absolute favorite thing on the planet, and I tell you, go follow a diet with no added sugars, now all of a sudden, the only thing you think about is that Oreo. Are you going to be able to swear that Oreo off in five years still? Probably not. I, I don't, and I think it makes you want more than just that one Oreo. You want, you, you know, know that, that's half what a I was row. Into. <laughs> you want you, half you, a row. Exactly. <laughs> so then you end up binging. Then you end up feeling guilty. Then you end up dieting again. Then you end up binging. Then you end up, and it's this cycle of year after year after year of trying different diets. And, and then, you know, I've, I've had people come five years after they've tried everything under the sun and say, you know, I think my metabolism is broke, right? Like I think metabolically something is wrong with me. Um, I'm in a starvation mode. There's all of these terms thrown around that when you, when you go to school and you learn about metabolism and you learn about, uh, anatomy, you learn about physiology, most of these terms really don't, they're not true. What's happened is, is that you've just been given bad information and, 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 and tried all of these things that honestly no one is able to follow. So anyway, as you can tell, I get pretty passionate. No, about that's all, it's awesome, man. That's <laughs> it, and for me, right? I mean, this is you know a hunting podcast, um, but for me, you know, we we I go through this cycle, right, where I'm I'm just grinding, I'm grinding, I'm grinding, I'm grinding for season, and I'm I'm prepping for season, I'm doing all this, and I'm getting in shape for season, and then here we are in December, and it's like, dang, I was you know twelve pounds lighter. Um, you know, before Thanksgiving. And then now we got Christmas and there's 15 pounds and I don't want to say it's starting over, but it's like, okay, now it's time to grind, right? I, I will start 110% effort January 1st. I'm all in for September. Um, and I really want to get to the point where I'm sustaining to where I'm not seeing that bit of fluctuation, you know, that 10 to 15 pounds. Um, well, Exactly. Right. So there's a question. I, a question I start to get around like uh, May and June and July messages is um, um, oh, it's something along the lines of like, what can I do? What's what's the best way to get in shape for hunting? And my reply is never. There is no off season. Like, don't don't get out of shape. Right. Like, don't get in shape. Be in shape year round. Like now. Obviously, as you start to get into June and July, you start doing more weighted packs, more hike and hunt centric type exercises. But that doesn't mean from November to May, you don't do anything to prepare. The best way to, to, to get into shape for an event is to stay in decent shape year round. Mm -hmm. What's that saying? Stay ready and got to get ready. There you go. Yeah, I mean that range. It range true, right? I mean, it, for me, archery is archery is my love. Archery hunting doesn't matter what I'm chasing, and I sh I try to shoot my bow every single day, whether it's at the range or it's in the backyard. If it's raining, I'll put my target in the garage and take ten yard or ten foot shots. Um, and and I've really in the last couple of years trying to liken the preparation to that. Like I will not miss a day shooting my bow. I don't care if I pull 10 ends. 
and I've really tried to get my frame of mind to the same thing when it comes to, you know, the fit, I hate saying it, it the fitness part of it. I, I don't like saying it because it sounds so damn sometimey when we say it like that to me. Yeah. I mean, but you make a great point. Like, man, how, how much, how much more comforting is it when you start to get into late July, mid August, knowing your pins are set, your, you know, your, every, your, your D loop is where you want it to be. Everything's done, right? You're not panicking and having to figure it out, knowing that you're about to leave on August 30th or September 1st to go out on your first archery. It's done. You've been shooting all year and most everybody else is panicking last minute, trying to get their broadheads on and trying to make sure that, um, you know, everything's dialed in that their tape is set right. And, and you're done. Like how comforting now, if you, if you transition that into the, uh, the physical preparation and the nutrition part of that, like the, the piece of you wondering if when you, particularly for your listeners that maybe are, are interested in coming to hunt the West, but live in the Midwest or live in the East. And they're worried about like stuff like altitude it's so much more comforting being able to pull up to the trailhead and not wonder, man, I hope I've got what it takes to be able to get up these massive Western mountains. Right. And there is no prep work when you've already done it all the rest of the season and you maintain a relatively decent shape, you know, your body, you know how well you recover after a tough cardiovascular push, you know, that your nutrition's dialed in and that you've got the right number of calories and more important than the right number of calories, the right calories from the right type of foods and, Anyway, I could go, I could go on all day, man. You give me, you give me fired up. I, I told you, man, this, I don't know if we're going to be able to cover it all in one. So let's, let's step us back. And we, we, I started to intro V2P, um, give us some background and everything on V2P and, and your mission there. Um, and then we're just going to start banging and going on these tangents and down these rabbit holes, man. Yeah. So, uh, so Valley to Peak, um, interestingly enough, you know, so I've been a dietitian. I worked with athletes and even when I was in the Midwest and then moving out here, uh, gained the, gained the interest in the mountains. And one thing that I kept discovering whenever I was researching, uh, uh, mountain nutrition and stuff, when I first started getting into it is everyone was preaching high fat, high fat, high fat, high fat, high fat. You need a high fat diet when you go to the mountains. And, you know, part, part of that was a, it yields the most calories per gram. And part of the second part of that was it gives you the lightest pack and everything that I know about nutrition and everything I know specifically about performance nutrition completely contradicts that. And so listening to, um, I was listening to a certain podcast and it was actually the, if, if, you, if you're familiar with Exo Mountain Gear, um, I, when I first started hunting, I just religiously listened to them. Those guys just have a, had a wealth of knowledge. And um, so they, they went on, they still do every year, they do something called the Exo Death Hike, which is a 100-mile hike over a three-day period. Traditionally, that's what it's been. And so they were recapping that, and they said, you know, we packed a ton of, this year, instead of doing high fat, we packed a ton of, um, quick, easy to digest carbs like goldfish and cereal and, you know, all these different kind of what we probably consider, consider junk food. And they made a comment on that and said, you know, I'm not really quite, we're not really quite sure why it worked, but man, I felt so much better doing that than trying to take a bunch of nuts and bars and things of that nature. So I sent those guys an email and said, well, you know, 
yeah, you know, here's, here's why it worked. And, you know, if you ever get any questions from listeners, then I'm happy to, uh, I'm happy to, you know, maybe help provide some insight to that. And, and those guys are, I've gotten to know a couple of them pretty, pretty well in the time since, and just such awesome dudes. They just like, well, man, why don't you just come on the podcast? So Valley to Peak actually started because I wanted a legitimate website for listeners to be able to email rather than just <laughs> sending some guy a Gmail uh, uh, sending some guy a, a, an email to Gmail and not knowing if I'm a legitimate guy or if I'm some guy in my mom's basement. Right. <laughs> so Valley to Peak got started off of that. And I just started working with um, guys interested. And in, like I said, athletes who are interested in learning to fuel better, to do better in mountain endeavors or preparing for, you know, I've worked with guys doing 10 day backpack hunting trips for sheep, for mountain sheep in Alaska to, you know, five and seven day elk hunts and, um, everything in between to guys preparing for the mountains. So helping, you know, helping guys. And I've had a lot of guys, their spouse has listened to me and, and the ladies have wanted help losing weight. And so long story short, man, we, I, you know, it's a nutrition program, depending on what the goals of the person are, uh, it's, it's a regular accountability piece. It's figuring out how to develop a plan with them that will help them meet whatever goals they have. So that's usually, a you know, includes some sort of a calorie range, different macronutrients, and then an education piece as to, okay, well, that's good. This is all of the, this is all of the what, but here's the why behind why that works. And I think, you know, nutrition information is free in abundance out there. But I think that most people, number one, they like the accountability piece of it. And number two, they like the ability to be able to have someone that they feel like they can trust filter questions through. Like, hey, I read this. This hasn't worked. All of a sudden, I've plateaued. Help me understand why and how to get past it. And that's huge. All right. So that kind of brings me to a couple things there. Um, one size does not fit all, right? I mean, no. you, you start scouring Google, and if I eat 10 apples and an Oreo, I'll probably have prostate cancer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the one size does not fit all, but then deciphering the flood of information when you type in anything, right? Caloric intake for mountain hunting, caloric intake for ultra, the macro breakdown. Um, it, it just, it's a flood of information that it, I don't know who has the amount of time to consume that information, to figure it out, to be successful. So to me, well, having, I, having a guy like you with, with Valley to peak, that's huge. Well, they don't, right? I mean, that's, that's part of the thing, right? We have, we have so much information now that I, you know, I, I think I would probably argue as great as the internet is for some things. We have so much information that we almost feel paralyzed by trying to make any, any, any sense of it all. Right. And so it would be the same with me. Like if I, if I wanted to go build a house, I, I could probably Google enough websites and figure out everything from laying a foundation to putting up the walls to blah, 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 blah. But I've got no construction experience. I've got no one to ask it. Hey, did I do this right? Is this even legitimate? Some guy's telling me to use a square on the bottom of the structure. Another guy's telling me to use like a, a piece of string with a bob on the end of it to make sure that it's square. Like, I, you know, I, so it, they, they don't, I, I don't have time to go through and disseminate information about construction. And a lot of people don't have, 
time to disseminate all of this stuff about nutrition and then to take it another step further and try to figure out what's right with what's what's the best approach for them mm -hmm. and then to dig deeper and figure out the logistics of it okay well how many grams of carbs do i need <laughs> on that on that marathon how much calories do i need does it need to be from a certain type of carb uh, so I do think that they appreciate that from a program like mine, whether it's for me or someone else. Um, I think that that's, that's something that they feel like is, is valuable. Heck yeah. Um, so let's delve into the nutrition part of it a bit. Let's, uh, let's start with macros, man, and, and kind of understanding macros and their specific roles. Um, and then if you will kind of parlay into one thing that I think I, when I read or I look micros are kind of not talked about in depth, right? We, we focus on the macros and I totally understand why, but the Mac, the micros play a huge role. Um, in my opinion, again, not the registered dietitian, uh, but they play a huge role and uh, nutrition density, et cetera, et cetera. So why don't you give us some of, some of both of those? Yeah. So, so boy, that's a, that is a loaded question. <laughs> uh, so in, in, in terms of the, in terms of the macros, you have three main people who use that word. That's a shorthand term to describe uh, macronutrients. And so macro meaning large nutrients, meaning the, the things that are essential to your body. So you need, there's three main ones. So there's only three. The macros are carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. And then like you were talking about earlier, the micronutrients, those would be the different types of vitamins and minerals and things of that nature that a person would need. So the macros, the predominant, the predominant role of the different macros are, are like this. Carbohydrates are essentially fuel for the body. Protein is responsible for repairing and, and, and healing torn muscle tissue. It's uh, responsible for other number of essential uh, properties in the body. And then you have fat that's more uh, responsible for things like insulation as well as, um, um, transport of different vitamins, minerals, so on and so forth. I think I hear a horn in the background, man. Not here. No, no. Okay. Uh, so anyway, that was a, a tangent, but so those, <laughs> those are the, those are the three main macronutrients. And so when you hear people asking questions like, well, what are your macros? People put together diet plans or nutrition plans based on the number of grams of carbohydrates, the number of grams of protein, the number of grams of fat that a person needs to hit some sort of a nutrition goal, right? So does that kind of answer your question about macros? I mean, I know we could go on for days about those, so I'm not sure how in depth you want to go. Oh, you're, you're doing just fine, but that, okay. it answered so that, the question, but if you have more to say about it, by all means. No, I think, I mean, so that, that's, that's macros in, in a nutshell. We may delve in deeper. So you were talking more, or you were talking earlier about micronutrients. So different vitamins and minerals. And I think that you, you've hit the nail on the head. They're far underplayed in, in two fat in two ways. Number one, they're far underplayed in the management of overall nutrition for longevity and quality of life. 
right? So you find most micros in fruits, veggies, grains, different types of foods that most people don't think about, right? We, we tend to only think about proteins, carbohydrates, and fats in terms of weight loss. We don't think about the micros. So people aren't necessarily worried about getting all of those vitamins and minerals that may be beneficial for fighting or preventing disease. So that's, that's the number one, a really good thing to think about with micronutrients. And the second part is there are, there are intermediates in the cycle of metabolism. So when you eat a certain, when you eat a certain food and it gets converted into the proteins, it gets broken down into the carbohydrates, the proteins and the fats. It then decides how the body's going to use it for energy. And if you think of a large circle, all of those nutrients funnel into this large circle and it, cre- it, it it's responsible for creating the energy or storing it. Involved in that circle are different micronutrients, different vitamins, different minerals to keep that wheel sort of spinning and functioning properly. And so if you're lacking in that, it may be possible that you're not able to convert the the food that you've eaten into energy. Um, whew, I got so many. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I lost it for a sec because you're, as you're talking, I'm looking, I'm writing down, looking at all these notes I'm taking. Um, so, okay, so let's go. Let's go into the calorie breakdown. Um, first, I'd like to do it on on a day to day basis. Right. And, and I don't want to talk. Well, maybe we will. Maybe we'll talk about, you know, a, a sedentary or semi sedentary lifestyle and where we need to be and where we need to build up to to get away from that. Uh, maybe going from sedentary to semi as you, you know, progress. Um, but then I'd like to take it a bit further and talk about preparation for season and going into season, um, you know, and and will for me, I don't I don't see it any different. I think a guy hiking two miles should be looking at it, you know, the same as a guy that's hiking, you know, 10 miles. Um, and there's and I can explain that if you need me to. But for me, it's a, a life, a lifetime thing, not just about the woods. Um, so where should we what should we be looking at calorically? And with a macro split when we are in that sedentary lifestyle and trying to progress out of that. So I think I think first the first thing to sort of mention is weight loss, weight gain, all of that hinges on a calorie intake, right? So that is that is sort of the, the king of of what you're trying to accomplish. Then you can sort of delve into the weeds about the different proteins. So when you talk about, you know, like what, what calorie range should you aim for for a sedentary lifestyle, people automatically go to, well, I should be eating low carb, right? Like I should be eating 20% of my calories from carbs and then dividing the other 80 between protein and fat. And that's not necessarily true. If you maintain a calorie deficit and your goal is weight loss, even if you're eating 50% of those calories from carbs, you will still lose weight. That is, I generally, when I first start with athletes or patients or clients, nine times out of 10, I'm doing a 50, 25, 25. So 50% carbohydrate, 25% protein, 25% fat, whenever they're trying to lose weight and they are wildly successful with that. So it does not need to be this deal where you're eating 20 grams of carbs per day to be successful on a weight loss diet. So with, okay, so there's some carb myths, right? Um, and I'm, and I'm probably 
in line with what I'll say is a myth at this point, but you have your, your simple carbohydrates and your complex carbohydrates. Um, where is there a balance in that 50% of that is, is one better than the other? Where do the carbs sit? Okay. So that's a good question. So ideally, yes, you're going to be getting a large majority of that 50% from complex sources with good nutrition, right? So the brown rice, the oats, the fruits, the veggies, the sweet potatoes, the things that you've probably always heard people preach about in the past. Now, now, with that said, theoretically, if I look, you know, usually I have people keep some sort of a food record that I could that we analyze and average every week as part of the program, right? Theoretically, if I look at that and I know that the numbers, the calories are right, the proteins are right, the carbohydrates, the fat, I know all, I can look at all those numbers and know they're right. I really don't care what you've listed to eat. Meaning if you've listed that you stopped at McDonald's and had a sausage, egg and cheese breakfast sandwich every day, but you've maintained that calorie deficit, you will lose weight. Right. So that, that, that is the hallmark. So yeah, you know, there, there is a ton of validity for having good quality nutrition in that 50% carbohydrate intake from your diet, right? You get more vitamins, you get more minerals, you get more of the micronutrients you're talking about, you get more fiber. So you feel fuller longer. You're not as hungry as often. You tend to eat less. All of those things, all of those things play a role. But if in that, let's just say that you're aiming to eat 2000 calories and then 1000 of those are dedicated to carbs over the course of the day, if in that you are still maintaining a deficit, but you are including sources of carbohydrates that seem like complete crap, you will still lose weight. So how do we, how do we frame that? Right. Um, I guess I can use myself well, as think, an, I think, a, sorry, I think ahead. a good way to frame it, right. If you're, if, 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 if you know, let's just keep that 2000. If you know that you're supposed to eat 2000 calories a day, a, a day, I would, I, I always give people the flexibility, just use the 80, 20 rule, right? Try to focus on about 80% of those calories being fixated on good quality, nutrient dense type foods. Keep that other 20%. What is that? 400 ish calories or so. Keep that other 20% um, for things that you like, right? Maybe that's one Reese's cup and a half of a, half of a muffin from Panera bread. I I don't know, whatever it is that, whatever it is that you like, but that allows you to net people never feel deprived on that. Right. And so if they don't feel deprived, they're more likely to adhere to the calorie deficit. And the longer and more consistent that they adhere to the calorie deficit, the more likely it is that they lose weight. And more importantly, like we were talking about earlier, that they're able to continue to stick to it in a manner that helps them keep that weight off for a long period of time. Okay. So something just jumped in my head when you were saying that, you know, that 80, 20 split, and then, you know, having that Reese's cup that day, a lot of, a lot of what we see is a cheat day, right? Is, you know, go strong for six days and then F it everything to the wind on that cheat day. Where, where do you stand with with that i think i know the answer but i think it's important to hear (laughs) (laughs) fair enough in my in my mind if you if you are eating from a nutrition plan that has been laid out in the right way for you 
there is no need to cheat because you are allowed to eat anything that you want every day of the week, right? There's, there's no need for you to go binge on pizza because you can have pizza Monday through Friday if you want it. You just have to find, you just have to make sure that you are continuing to hit that number that allows you to achieve your goals, right? So, so if you're, if your goal is to put on some weight, if you want to put on some mass in the off season, some muscle, then maybe you are at a surplus, a slight surplus, not a surplus where you're just going around and binge eating everything and putting on a ton of fat, but a slight surplus. If you are able to check that box and include it in that surplus is pizza why, why binge? Like what? There's no need to binge. There is nothing off limits. And that's, that's not even what I've seen. So I've seen that observationally, but that is also true from a science standpoint. When you look at the science of human metabolism and biochemistry and biology and the way that the body functions, if you're maintaining a deficit, you will lose weight. There's a guy, there's a, there's a, there's a guy who's, who's done some He's, he has a pretty good following on Instagram. Can't can't recall his his tag line right now, but just to prove this, recently he ate a Big Mac every day for thirty days and lost five pounds. So he he went every single day. He ate a Big Mac. He didn't get the fries. He didn't get a Coke. He didn't buy an apple pie. He didn't overdo it. Right? We were talking about we we tend to think on two levels of extreme. We can never find the middle. So he every day. He would. He ate a Big Mac. He didn't get the fries. He didn't get anything extra. He lost five pounds over a period of thirty days, just to prove that it, is, it has nothing to do with a person being on all of these really strict, rigid regi- regimes. It just has to do with maintaining a consistent calorie deficit and trying to get. So the rest of the time, he was still eating some pretty good nutrition dense foods, but every day he ate one Big Mac and still was able to lose weight. So I'm not going to ever get to the, any other of the bullets. <laughs> so, okay. So That's all right, man. <laughs> I, I am not a fan of McDonald's. Um, I used me, to be a, a big fan of McDonald's. Right. So to hear, and, and I, I, and it's kind of, and, and nothing against him and nothing against what you said, but there's kind of a poison there in that thought process. When I start thinking about, processed foods like overly processed pump it out as fast as you can food for me i i have learned my body enough to know that that stuff does not settle with my gut with my performance um so where do we where do we draw the line when it comes to that type of food well right there there are all of those pieces right i mean and and this guy would certainly not say that he's advocating people go eat mcdonald's every day what he's doing and and the heart of his the heart of this the heart of this push for him was you can still like you can still eat stuff you like and lose weight right so maybe it's not mcdonald's maybe it's whatever whatever like anything under the sun the 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 mantra that is preached right now is you need to be very restrictive. You need to be very rigid. Carbs are, carbs are from the devil and, and you need to get rid of every carb. And the reality is that that simply is not true. You do not need to do that to find success. So yeah, if, if McDonald's causes you to have a bunch of bloating, don't go eat McDonald's. But so for, so this is a good example. What's, what's something you, do you like ribs? Oh man, I love them. <laughs> right. So, so that's a, that's a notably high calorie, high fat type of a food that many dieters often swear off. If I were to tell you, 
you know what, man, you, you can never guy no more ribs ever. That's pretty unlikely you're going to do that. Am I right? Right. Yeah, I won't. Yeah. But, Anything that makes me quit something, <laughs> it's not right. happening. So, But if I, if I say, guy, you know what? Every night, ribs are your favorite thing. You told me that when you and I first met, right? This is hypothetical. Every night, I want you to sit down, not to half a slab. I just want you to sit down to four ribs and then, you know, whatever else, as long as you're maintaining that calorie deficit, which are you going to be more likely to follow? Right. Yeah. Slowing down. Right. On the ribs. Yeah, right. But, but you still get them. You still get a reasonable amount of them. They're just mixed with other stuff. You maintain a calorie deficit. So it is literally, and pun intended, you get the cake and eat it too. Right. right. I mean, I've got, I've seen people, people daily, they say, man, I just get this, uh, not daily, but I've had, I have clients or athletes who will say like, man, at night, I just get this intense urge to have a piece of chocolate. Like I'm not, I'm not even talking about going completely overboard and eating half a pint of chocolate ice cream. Like I just get this intense urge to have some chocolate. So my instant reply is, okay, build it in. Like you get 2000 calories, use, use 200 of them for this piece of chocolate. Because the reality is if you're using 200 for that piece of chocolate, what'd the other 1800 go to? Good quality, nutrient dense type foods. And I can promise you, your body is not going to prevent you from losing weight because you had a 200 calorie piece of chocolate and kept your sanity. I'm glad you said that because I, I like, I have these, uh, well, they're because it was better in my head, right? We went to the whole foods market and I got basically rice krispies, gluten-free, lower sugar rice krispies. <laughs> <laughs> and I built it into my caloric intake for the day. Um, so three nights a week, I'll have a coffee mug full of my rice krispies <laughs> with coconut milk. <laughs> hey, you're, so you're exactly, you're exactly right. So for, for me, Right. For, for me, I, I like having something sweet before I go to bed. Oh man. I like, Ore I like Oreos. Right. But I also, you know, throughout this process, I think one of the most fascinating things to me is that I went from loving all of these foods that we're talking about right now that most people feel like they shouldn't have. Right. Like I went from just loving pizza and donuts and burgers all the time. I went from loving all this stuff to now genuinely, if you put a slice of pie in front of me or a sliced apple with like a tablespoon of peanut butter, I am I am genuinely wanting that apple with peanut butter more than I am the slice of pie. My taste changed completely. Mm -hmm. But I do like a little bit of something sweet. So every night I have an Oreo on my dinner with my dinner. Every night. Right. And that's it's it's been that way and you know, for a while it was nut or butter. <laughs> so <laughs> well, the point awesome. is is like the point is is like you know, you, you and I have both observationally and personally seen it. I've seen it with clients and scientifically, if you're building it as a part of your plan, you will still be able to have something you like, hit your goals, and not lose any progress at all. You're more likely to adhere to that, which means you're more likely to be consistent with that. And consistency is the name of the game, no matter what goal you've got with nutrition and performance and fitness. If you are not consistent, you will never see results, right? It, think about it. If you, if you eat at a calorie deficit for five days a week, but you blow it the other 25 days of the month, do you think you'll see results? You never. And likewise, if you go to the gym five days in, in a month, and then the other 25 days you decide to sleep in and you just decide to skip it, you'll never grow 
You'll never, you'll never see results. You have to be consistent with whatever you do. And the only way you're going to be consistent is if it's realistic. So jumping to the, I guess the other side of that, and we talk about building um, and not the, you know, deficit side and, and the weight loss, but wanting to put on some, some pounds, um, you know, for the mountain or for whatever that goal or activity is um what are we looking at in as far as you know having a store of of calories and how does that mirror what we were talking about if at all so there's a there's a couple of things if you're talking about like a preseason, then you need to you need to maintain a slight surplus right and what generally happens when people start talking about in the fitness world this is there's usually a term thrown around a lot called bulking Right. And what that means for a lot of guys in the past is they just eat everything in sight that's full of protein and just, you know, kind of kind of just go in a complete surplus and start lifting heavy. You put on muscle, but you put on a ton of fat that way. So the opposite of that is you need to maintain a sites a slight surplus. So if your maintenance goal, if you're if you're if your calorie needs are two thousand to maintain your current weight rather than ramping it up to 4,500 and eating everything in front of you, ramp it up to something like 2,350 or 2,500 and then start progressively working out in a way that builds muscle. All right. So that's, that's sort of the preseason prep side of things. Now, if you are, if you were looking for having some, like you mentioned the word reserves, if you're wanting some reserves for when you show up to the mountain now you're talking about you need to be prepared to have full glycogen stores. So glycogen is the storage form of carbohydrate, and we store that in our muscle and we store that in our liver. So you can't show up to the mountain having had just hammered yourself in the gym on every day leading up to the day of the mountain and following some sort of a moderately to low-carb diet. You will not Die. do well <laughs> in, in the mountains uh, if, if you show up in that type of a state. So those are two really important factors whenever you're thinking about getting ready to go on the actual seven-day hunt itself is you want to show up rested and you want to show up with those glycogen, both muscle and liver. You want, you want to show up with those stores full, meaning you're not following some sort of a low to moderate carb diet in, in the weeks or the days uh, before you go on the hunt or the ultra or the run or whatever. And that kind of brings the, at least me full circle with what we were talking about earlier and my, and my cycle through the year and through season um, where, you know, that 10 to 15 pound gain from call it, you know, end of October through January, mid January. Um, and then having to, it's not starting over, but it is, you know, Oh, I got to lose these pounds. Um, and I guess 10 to 15 pounds. And, and I've been kind of rethinking that as I approach, you know, January this year is I, I think that I'll be able to maintain what I've been doing. But as I ramp up my training, I don't have to worry about the the deficit part of it as much um, because as I ramp that activity up and get that, you know, nutrition back at that maintain point, I don't think I'm going to have to be in that deficit as bad because I'm not as high as I've been um, fat body fat wise and weight wise than I have been previous years where I've had to use January and February to, you know, shed some pounds. Yeah. <clears throat> um, 
So the high calories, is is there any kind of acclimation when it comes to the high calories? I know you said ramp it up, you know, a little bit and see the gains from there. Um, but say we're, you know, we've, we've done that. We're focused on September, August, September, whenever your season starts. And should we be looking at, you know, for me, I, my calories this year, I, I planned on 4,800 a day. Um, I found them to be just about right. Um, when I was on the mountain, we did 11 days. I think they were a little bit low. I felt more the mental part of it. Um, yeah than anything but is there a a period to where we should say you know hey i got to get my body ready to use all these calories um you know let me start eating the 4800 you know two weeks prior three weeks prior how does that work no your your body is phenomenal at adapting and adjusting to relatively immediate type of need. So, you know, my, my suggestion is, you know, whatever your normal day-to-day life and training schedule is prior to leaving for the mountain, maintain your calorie intake built around that. And then once you get there, as you expend more energy, your body will obviously require more calories. And as you start to feed that, then the, the, uh, the offset will be sort of neutral, if that makes sense. One thing I would highly suggest is I always recommend whether it's an athlete preparing for some type of a sporting event like an ultra or a cross country ski or whatever, or it's backcountry hunters preparing for like a seven to 10 day hunt is it's really important in my opinion to experiment beforehand with training conditions, whatever you plan to take, right? So like, don't be trying to finagle and try out new stuff on the mountain because if it doesn't work and you've got 11 days of it, you're, you're in, in a world of hurt. Yeah. Yeah. So I always suggest whatever, whatever guy plans do on the mountain, you know, be thinking about that the weeks before you leave and start training with it, um, in the weeks before you leave. So, you know, whether or not you like it, whether or not it sits well with you, does it cause you diarrhea? Cause 11 days on the mountain are really going to be terrible if you've got diarrhea. And, um, those are, those are kind of a couple of the key takeaways on that end of things. I think that, you know, one thing that I've observed is guys eat way less than they need on the mountain. And my observation in, in looking at what other people are putting out for mountain nutrition, most people are trying to say, you know, eat around 3,500 calories a day um, or aim for a certain calorie per ounce mark. Like, so for me, I, you know, I'm five foot six, I weigh 145 pounds. I ate 4,200 calories every day last year and felt like it was perfect. Uh, so, you know, you being 5'11", and I'm not sure what you weigh, but 48, 48 might've been a touch, a touch low. And, uh, sorry. And, um, um, you know, so a, a lot of guys too, will will try to aim for a certain calorie per ounce, like a hundred calories per ounce, uh, when they're weighing their food. And to me, to me, that's sort of a, a moot point because calories only matter when they're from the, when they're from the right type of calories. They're the right kind of calories. Meaning, you could have five thousand calories in your pack, but if it's all from nuts and jerky, high fat, high protein type foods, you're going to really struggle to make it up any sort of ascent that you're planning. 
So with the carb split that you gave, or excuse me, with the macro split you gave us earlier, would you increase your carbs in that scenario to maybe 60% of that intake? So when, when you start getting to that level of planning for like mountain performance type nutrition, I change the format entirely. So then I start dosing grams of carbohydrate needed per kilogram of body weight or per pound of body weight because you know in, in a in a high intensity type situation where you're putting out a lot of energy the body can metabolize as many as 90 carbo 90 grams of carbohydrate per hour uh, which is a lot of carbs for anyone who knows how many grams of carb um, is in certain types of food so you, you know, ha- having to replace that can be a almost a full time job on behalf of the athlete. So, you know, you, depend, depending on the intensity, a person can require anywhere from six to as high as twelve grams per kilogram of body weight of carbohydrate. So that's, I mean, in carbs, I just did the math. That's three hundred and sixty calories in the ninety grams of carbohydrate if i have that right right one gram of carb equals about four calories yep yep you got that right right so you take you take let me get my calculator up here you take me for instance 145 pounds which gives um and i can convert this to pounds for people that are interested but like if you give it kilos because that's usually what most most people will put recommendations in. Hold on. All right. Let's see here. It's uh, 145. And then to get to kilos, you just take your body weight and you divide it by 2.2. And that gives you how many kilograms you weigh. So for me, I'm 66 kilos. And if I were to multiply that by the max grams of carb per kilo, we're looking at over 790 grams of carbohydrate over a 14-hour day. Wow. Right or a four or fourteen or a sixteen hour day, if I'm doing just high intensity pushes all day. But sometimes hunts aren't like that, right? I mean, sometimes you you hunt to the top of a ridge and you glass for three hours, so you don't necessarily need all seven ninety of that. So it's important to think about, you know, in the grand scheme of things, what all are you doing? What all are you trying to accomplish? And you know, uh, something I've always got in the back of my head is. I would rather carry more weight in food than to at 7 p.m. on day seven, not be able to go in some deep descent with my buddies to chase an elk, right? I don't want to be the guy to be like, man, I just don't know that I can do it. You guys go without me. I, I don't want to do that. And, you know, those guys have been so gracious to me that if I get the opportunity to help them pack something out, I want to be able Gotta to go. do it. Yeah. Yeah, man, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to, you know, as, as, as good as my intentions may be to be able to say, you know, uh, I'd love to help guys. I just don't think that I got it in me. I, I, I want to have it in me. <laughs> so, um, you know, the, the whole calories per, uh, the whole calories per ounce thing to me, like I, I just don't even mess with it personally because to me it, it doesn't matter if it's not what I need then I'm going to be carrying more weight and, and that's, what's important to me. So, so you brought up something there. If say just for a number, right. I'm, I'm saying, Hey, I got 4,000 calories a day and I'm planning this 10 day hunt. And the scenario dictates what we do in, in a lot of instances on the mountain. Um, one day I might be beating feet, you know, going at a good click and just covering mile after mile, trying to locate animals. The next day I 
think I have the animals found. So I'm going to sit, you know, three, four hours and glass, glass, glass and move slow and move a little bit and glass some more. Um, how important is it to still consume that 4,000 calories as that scenario changes? And then how does that translate to the end of the 10 or 11 days that you're out there if you do or you don't? So that's a good question. And what I, what I always do is, is I, I plan to use it. Right. So I, I pack all my food bags and suggest all my athletes and clients do the same as if you're planning to need and use it all. Right. Because there are days where, you know, we'll put like, whenever we went out over labor day, we were putting in, if I remember right, 12 plus miles per day. Um, in the heat. So, you know, I was, I was eating all of that. And so sort of back to your question, I, I would plan as though you're going to use it all every day, but if you wind up glassing and you've got some snacks left in your bag, then, and, and you notice that it's come time to eat and you're not hungry, you don't have an appetite for it. Why then you certainly don't have to. Now you, you may wind up with a little bit of extra food at the end of the trip, but so what, mm-hmm. at least you know that it's, it's there, there if you do need it. Right. right? I, I don't want to be, I don't want again, I don't want to be on the mountain and think, boy, I sure wish I'd have brought that extra food bag back at the truck. I'd rather have it if I need it. Awesome. If I don't, well, oh, well, and that's, you know, so that's the other piece of this too is, not only what you bring, but there is an important component when it comes to performance nutrition in particular for timing, um, eating certain amounts of carbohydrate, eating certain amounts of calories at certain points during the day. So you're not lacking in anything, right? So, you know, if it's been six hours since you've eaten anything and then all of a sudden an elk goes off at 6 PM and and you're having to say, well, well, hold on guys, let me, let me get some in before we go down there. Like that, they're not going to wait for you, man. Right. They're going after that. that thing. So, yeah. So, you, you know, t- timing is important as well and making sure that you get a regular and consistent, in, a consistent intake in. And, um, you know, it's very rare that I found myself or even other even guys I've worked with. It's very rare that they don't wind up eating most, if not all of the food that they bring with them. So for me this year, right, like I said, we were there, we, we actually planned 16 days. We ended up doing 11. Um, and even when I wasn't hungry, I, I, I planned to eat every three hours. Um, and if I felt like I needed to, then, you know, I kept a couple bars and I kept a couple dried apples, um, real easy to reach so I can eat it on the go. Um, I forget my point. Jeez Louise. Um, so I was eating everything. Uh, and there was points where it was just like, Oh man, I didn't want to eat that. I didn't need to eat that. Um, but ultimately I think I was glad I did because we, it was a grind. I mean, we were nonstop. I think we averaged over that time. It was something like 7.56 miles a day. And at the end of the hunt, I could have kept going and I, and that's what I attributed it to was maintaining that intake just like I had planned. Um, but then I feel like it does something for you mentally when your body is fueled. Um, well, it definitely does. Right. So the, the predominant fuel source and any keto advocate, we could go round and round on this, but the predominant fuel source of the brain is glucose. It's just metabolized carbohydrate. So, 
if your body is lacking in that, the whole hangry mental sludge type of, that's a real thing. There's a, there's a, there is a biochemical reason as to why you feel that way. Um, so it is, it is, you know, it is important and you hit the nail on the head and trying to eat every three hours or, or whatever, however you space it out. But, um, yeah, I, I, to your to your point, I think that that is important. And oh, here's what I was going to say: is people have a very difficult time shifting from the mindset of their office jobs to the mountain and, and the and what you need for performance nutrition, right? And, and, uh, in their office job, it's like, man, I should have eaten that. It's going to go straight to my thighs. Blah 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 blah. That that does not apply. I have never met to this day. I have yet to meet a back pack style hunter or a guy who hikes a lot um or an athlete who has returned from a trip having had gained weight <laughs> right now it's it's an entirely different thing and we're not necessarily talking about guys who tend to uh, drive for service roads and do that type of hunting i'm not downplaying that type of hunting at all but your your calorie needs are drastically different from the from from someone who's you know putting in 12 15 20 miles a day backpack hunting or hiking or whatever it is that they're doing so so shifting from that mindset of oh i shouldn't have had that oh those m&ms are so bad for me they are it is it is polar opposite on the mountain from what general nutrition knowledge tells us whenever we are uh, whenever we're at home now you know to your point earlier about McDonald's and carry over here mountain house has calories but it bothers a lot of guys right like a lot of guys just hate that stuff so the quality of nutrition that you take you know is, is completely up to you whatever you know sits well with you but I can tell you this, that if you choose for um, uh, simple carbs that are rapidly digested and don't sit well with you and seem like complete trash, that is rocket fuel on the mountain and you should not second guess yourself. If you want that and if it sits well with you and it doesn't bother you, it is not going to harm you up there because the muscular demand is so high that it doesn't even have time to sit in your system. You eat it, you digest it, the muscles use it, and it's burned. That's it. It's gone. It's not sitting there forever like it might be if you work an office job. Okay, so that this is, I love it, man. It keeps parlaying. Um, so the backcountry meals, whether it's you know, there, there's umpteen of them. I have I have a couple favorites. Uh, one in particular, and the reason that I like it, one of the reasons I like it, is that it's not thirteen to fifteen hundred calories in one sitting. I have a hard time taking thirteen to fifteen hundred calories, eating that, and not feeling sluggish. Right? There's there's a level of and, and correct me if I'm wrong, please, time that our body needs to focus on digestion. And as you know, we, typically what happens is we sit down, we have this meal, we, you know, consume 1500 calories and then we're up moving again. Now the, the blood's being, you know, sent right back down to our quads, our glutes uh, and every other uh, muscle in those lower extremities. What happens with digestion? It makes me one, my stomach goes to crap. And then two is I just feel sluggish um, as all could be when I eat that amount of calories and try and go after it again. Yeah. Is there a question? Do you, I mean, uh, I, did I miss a question then? I'm sorry. What is there? Is there any science to that? Yeah. Is there any science? Oh, 100%. That, okay. Yeah. hundred percent. Right. So, so m m being mobile 
stimulates digestion. Like when, when I, when I work in the hospital, one of the, one of my, um, one of the, uh, one of the floors that I covered was general surgery, which is predominantly bowel surgeries and abdominal type surgeries. They, they focused on two things. You need to start eating and you need to get up and start moving because that's the most, most, most likely thing that's going to get you to start having some bowel movements and going to get you out of the hospital and prevent any complications. So yeah, there's definitely some legitimacy to being mobile and your body needing uh, that encouraging digestion. Now on the flip side of that, when you're pushing yourselves in the mountain, blood shunts away from the stomach and the digestive tract and into the quads. And so if you're if you're if it's not the evening and you're not planning to go to sleep, you've got more hiking ahead of you, then yeah, you probably will suffer some indigestion type related issues. Now, in terms of nutrients alone, um, fiber, protein, and fat all slow digestion in the gut. So if you're eating a large mixed meal where all three of those macros are present, where where you know it's not just a protein based, carbohydrate based, or or um, fat-based type of a meal, but all three of them are present, it's going to sit with you longer. So, you know, that's why a lot of guys struggle with those really high fiber type bars is because it's slowing your, it's, it's not slowing your metabolism. It's slowing the rate at which your gut empties the food. So it's slowing the digestion. It's sitting in there and fermenting on gut bacteria, good gut bacteria that produces some gas and that makes guys feel incredibly uncomfortable. So <laughs> there's, that's me. Yeah, there's, <laughs> so yeah, there's, there are a number of legitimate reasons why, you know, you, you may feel bad after you eat a large meal. Now, like me on the flip side, I say my, my largest one for the evening and dude, I, I just, I eat that and go straight to bed. <laughs> and, and, but that, that kind of goes back to my point. Cause that's where I'm at when I eat those, you know, I don't want to, say it and down a brand but when i eat those super high caloric meals i'm i'm just sluggish you know my performance just wanes and um so and i think you said it and that's why the thought came in um the fillers the high fiber things like that right feeling satiated versus a nutritious meal um and i that is a again that for me my opinion that's a lot of what i see is in some of the bars and some of the mountain meals um high calories whatever it is i there's a lot of satiation but how nutritious is it? and i and i realize that you said that it you know it's rocket fuel but how where's is there a balance there or do we even care well, uh, that so there's a piece of that that's going to be very dependent on person personal preference, right? But if you if you show me a package of a rehydratable type of a meal that most people take on the mountain, and you just show me the nutrition label, you don't attach anything else to it. I don't see the ingredient list. I don't see anything else, right? And then you, it, it, let's just call it complete trash, okay? In terms of fillers and all of that. And then you show me another one, and this one's all natural, all organic, no fillers, blah, 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 all the, all the promotional stuff that people love to read on a package, right? And all you do is you cut the nutrition label off of that one. And all I have in front of me are two nutrition labels for two separate meals, and they both look identical. They have the same calories, they have the same fat, they have the same carbs, same protein, so on and so forth. Your body is yielding the exact same amount of fuel from that, right? So if you if you personally have no moral problem eating a packaged food with a quote unquote filler and you don't notice any sort of indigestion type problems, 
There's no reason for you to avoid that. There's no reason for you to fear that. Likewise, if you hate that, you've got some sort of a, you know, mental qualm with eating these fillers and you prefer this organic product, well, then you could, you know, knock yourself out with that one. Um, so fr- from, from, a, from a fuel standpoint, no, they are, there is no difference between the two. Now, the guy that eats the one that is complete trash, he may say, man, I just don't feel as good eating that one whenever, as opposed to whenever I eat this organic one or one that I've made homemade. Well, then, you know, go ahead. You can certainly go ahead and have that one. It may have something to do with the sodium content. It may have something to do with, you know, who knows, any number of things under the sun. But it is grossly inaccurate to say that these ones that have these fillers, I mean, uh, Mountain House, right? They, they They always get blamed. It is grossly inaccurate to say that those are not going to fuel people properly or that somehow these other ones are far superior simply because they are made with organic, all natural, blah, blah, blah. They are providing the same or similar fuels. Now, how they make a person feel is, is, a, very sub, is a very subjective thing, right? I, I'm never going to tell a guy who tells me he feels like crap after eating a mountain house that he's a liar. And then likewise, I'm never going to tell, you know, a person that eats organic that he, they felt like they were floating on cloud nine. I'm not going to say, well, you're a liar too, right? <laughs> so it's, it's a very subjective thing as to the way a food makes a person feel. And, but it is, again, and I don't want to be redundant, but it is grossly inaccurate because I hear this all the time to say that somehow these ones that have all these fillers are inferior and don't give you the same type of a nutrition or whatever because they are they, they still have great uh, great energy yield to them i don't even know if we talked about spreading the calories and that one was i think i might have glassed on that what's what's your opinion on spreading those calories and i think you know i told you mine i I was trying to eat every three hours um instead of that one you know one or two big hits and a lot of us do it right and i think this year was the best i've done in trying to maintain my energy levels um by spreading those calories out and not getting sluggish etc etc yeah you i mean so you hit the nail on the head and 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 recognizing that you needed to spread them so uh you know it, it largely depends on what a person's personal needs are right so you can't it's, it's tough to generalize it but i will say something that is good to aim for is trying to get in at least 60 grams of carbs every every two to three hours is going to be a reasonable ballpark frame for somebody to try to aim for if they're on the mountain and they're planning on hiking and they're planning on being active and all of that. Right. So if you, if you sort of think about that laid out, like we talked about earlier, your body's metabolizing anywhere between 60 and 90 grams of carbohydrate during high intensity activities. If you're, you know, we're assuming over a two to three hour period that even if you are hiking that whole time, you're probably stopping for rest or water at some point in that. So we are aiming to make sure that those carbohydrate stores never get too low to where you're constantly chasing your tail. Um, right. So I think a good, a good analogy is like, if you think about, think about a fuel tank at a gas station that sits underneath the ground and then we all come in and we're constantly filling our cars up with it. It would be the equivalent of 
you know, rather than having that guy come visit once a week, when once it gets really, really low and risking that these cars don't have the opportunity to get gas, it would be like him sitting there and constantly replacing what's lost after you and I pull off. Right. So you come in, you fill up your big truck. I come in, I fill up my truck. My buddy comes in, he fills up his car. We leave. And this guy, this tanker fills the larger tank underground rather than him just waiting a week to come back. And then the next group comes in and then he, they all get gas and then he fills it again. Right. And so there's, there's always plenty to go around because we're constantly replacing the gas. And and it's, absolutely hard to do when you're out on a hunt. I mean, that was, that is challenging to look and say, Oh, it's that time (laughs) I need to eat. Um, that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely, it definitely can be for some people, uh, challenging and you hold like, you know, when we work with people, we'll sort of walk through some ways to overcome those challenges too. But like, man, for, for me, <laughs> I mean, I'm ready to go and come two or three hours. I'm digging in my pack, just looking forward to it. And, you know, like even, even having fun with it, like, you know, buy, buy a whole bunch of different things that, you know, that sit well with you. And then on, let's say you're going on a five day hunt on three, two out of those five days throw an extra bar in the food pack and then you're you know you're pulling out your food bag on the first day and you're like is this the day that i get two bars instead of one like you can you can definitely have fun throw some surprises in because you know it can get it can get tough to be out there mentally sometimes you kind of want to go home and enjoy the amenities of the house and uh, it's fun to throw a little twist in there that you're not really expecting you got to find ways to liven it up yeah because you know that was one of the things that i did is i it took me i'm gonna say it was three days of of prep right it's for me and my boy and (laughs) i did so we did i did a bagel right this is this is kind of like you know the the popular backcountry deal right a bagel peanut butter with some thick extra thick smoked bacon um yeah the butthole sandwich, as it's affectionately called. <laughs> Man, by day three, I didn't want to see one of those freaking things. Um, yeah. It was just like, oh, my God, man, this is I'm old. This is old. I'm just tired of it already. And we were like day three or four in and my boy didn't stop. I think he was like, OK, I'm over this thing. And he probably lasted maybe two days longer than me. And it was just like, oh, my God, man, this bagel. So everything just became wrong with it. You know, it was uh, yeah. it was no, interesting. And I mean. And that's a common theme too, right? Like your nutrition planning is only as good as what you can choke down when it comes time to eat it. Yeah. So, you know, adding, adding some variety to where, you know, like, so I did a, I, I did a plan for a couple of guys who did a 10 day sheep hunt up in Alaska. And a, a, a portion of my goal was, you know, to try as hard as I could because there's, you know, you're sort of limited on what you can take in the backcountry because of the nature of refrigeration and so forth. So, and weight and size and bulk and all that. So a goal of mine was to make sure that they had plenty of variety of breakfasts, lunch, dinners, and snacks and stuff. Now you could get through, you know, so you take 10 days like that. If you can plan out five days that look different and then even repeat those for the second five days, that's going to be way less nutrition and diet monotony than you eating the same oh, thing man. for 10 days. That was that was rough, man. I mean, it was it looked the same. The only variation was the flavor of the bars and the 
you know, beef stroganoff or is it, you know, mac and cheese with a meat stick? <laughs> that was the only real yeah, variation. And it that was a freaking mistake. Yeah, that's that's brutal. <laughs> yeah, it was, I, you know, and but for me, it was like, OK, I got this figured out with these meals, with these bars, with, you know, that that butthole sandwich. It was a lot of work to get to that point. Once I had figured out, okay, this is where my calories need to be. And this wasn't, this wasn't guessing or Google. This was, this is what I'm going to be doing. Let's go get after these miles or let's, you know, get in the gym and put the work in and see where I'm performing and where I feel the best. So it was a lot of work to get to that point. So it just seemed so much easier just to be like, okay, this is it every day. And man, what a mistake mentally. That's a toll. Because you sit down a lot of times and, and you're going, you know, you're getting beat up. You're not finding the animals. And it's you sit down and you have that meal and it's kind of that pick me up. You know, you get that get that little boost mentally. You're like, all right, that food made me feel good. And it wasn't it was so regimental after a few days that it was just like this sucks. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you think about like you, you think about what we use food for here, right? It's comforting, like it's social, it's it's a pick me up. Like you, we, we started out the podcast talking about what steak, like you just, you just had a tough day at work. You're looking forward to getting, you know, as much as you enjoy this, you're looking forward to digging into that steak here in a little bit. There's no reason for us not to assume the same for backcountry type stuff. You know, you, you want to sit down like, you know, like I know for us, we'll hunt, we'll hunt from, you know, well before, before first light till about noon. And, and then we'll sit down and eat something like, and so you, when you sit down to take off your pack and rest and crack open the food bag, like, man, there's nothing worse than feeling like I just yeah. don't even <laughs> want this. Like I'm not excited. This is lackluster. Like it is, it's a little bit taxing and we feel like, Oh, we shouldn't be, we should be out there pushing the bad country and hunting or feeding our family and filling our freezer. We shouldn't care what we eat. No, you no, do care you what care. you eat. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I mean, I can totally appreciate that. Yeah, we we peeled off the mountain. I think it was day six, day six or seven. And we were pretty beat at that point and uh, ran down to town like two hours away. And we we ate, uh, we devoured an entire pizza, a cowboy burger, and uh, Chris cut fries, man. <laughs> oh, dude, I, I, I can tell you right now I mean, exactly what we had. We, whenever we uh, came off the mountain on Labor Day, we went and we all had, we got, two big old pizzas killed them. And then whenever we came off after the seven or eight day hunt, we went to this little, um, awesome little hole in the wall restaurant in this mountain town here in Idaho, all had burgers and, um, a bunch of other stuff and Skittles, Skittles, Doritos and burgers. That's what we ended up eating. And man, like you, you talk about a pick me up, dude. We, it was like, you know, we're headed home. We're going to be able to get a, a shower and see our wives, see our kids. And, you know, be able to actually heat water where you're not having to squat while you heat it. And we were on cloud nine after eating that burger and having a, a big grab bag full of Skittles. And it was awesome, man. It was a lot of fun. Supplementation. Um, I'm a fan to a point um, with like, you know, on the go kind of a meal replacement protein, um, while I'm snacking on my favorite is an apple, man. I love apples. Um, so, you know, there's my car, you know, and I got a little repair going at the same time. What, what's your opinion on the supplementation, um, when it comes to, you know, say a pre-workout or that repair at the end of the day? 
So my, my, my caveat or preface phrase before diving off into the weeds on this is a person can accomplish every fitness goal that they want, every nutrition goal, every performance goal that they want with zero supplementation. All they need is real food. There is no supplement that is going to put them at a significant advantage. So, you know, when I'm working with clients or athletes or whatever, uh, I, I never tell them to go purchase anything unless it's for the sake of convenience, like you're talking about, right? Like, so I just don't have time for breakfast. I feel like I'd be able to get a protein drink in though on my drive to work and a piece of fruit. Fine, get a protein drink if you want to. So um, from the performance end of things, there's there's nothing in literature that has just shown, listen, this is really going to put you to have the, the edge over the uh, the opposing athletes. So you need to go buy this supplement, right? So there's there's really not anything in literature that would suggest that. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, so, so from that standpoint, there's been some studies that would say like, you know, maybe there may be some benefit to creatine. There's been some studies that would say caffeine, just simple cup of coffee would give you a little bit of an edge in the gym. But I think an important follow-up question to all of these studies, right? Even for guys like me who research this stuff is, is is what these studies are saying is the benefit, right? Is is you know when you read these studies and it says okay, um, creatine enhances your workout. I think it's important to read these results and then say okay, does the does the increase of this supplement in the performance of your workout does it make a measurable difference, right? Is it, is, is it going to, is it, is there a meaningful difference? Does it justify the expense and the recommendation of telling a person to go buy this? And the answer to that would be largely for most of these. No, right. So you take like a pre-workout that's loaded full of caffeine and usually there's some nitric oxide in there. Most of the studies are going to largely say there's some benefit to caffeine. And some of that is, uh, even, some of that's more of a placebo, like I took the caffeine, I feel more energized, therefore I can push a little bit harder as opposed to an intrinsic type of benefit. There's, you know, s- sort of back and forth on that. Right. So in, in my mind, am I going to tell this guy, hey, go drop $50 on this because it's going to be the thing that just allows you to get over that barrier and finally hit your goals? No, I think it's an empty promise. So, um, even when you start reading some of these studies and, and I think it's really important to follow up the question with, okay, is the benefit that they're suggesting is there, is it really going to make a noticeable difference for me? And if the answer to that is no, then why are you taking it? Like there's, there's no, there's no real, real need to start, start throwing that in. So when you read them, like green tea, right? There was a study a long time ago, everybody's on this kick, green tea speeds up metabolism. Okay, so when you when you read that study and you find out the person the the group who did not have green tea, they burned on average fifteen hundred and twenty two calories at rest. The green the the group who did have green tea, they burned on average fifteen hundred and twenty three calories at rest. Right. So that one calorie, you need to ask yourself. Does that make a difference? The answer to that is no, but the published study, the only thing the published study reads is green tea speeds up metabolism. Now all of a sudden everybody and their moms rushing to the grocery to buy green tea. So 
when you read, when, 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 when listeners are going through and they're, they're hearing a lot of these headlines that, you know, uh, a, a pre-workout, um, enhances performance or I mean, a brand, this one freaking kills me, man. Branch chain amino acids. <laughs> you need, you need BCAAs to recover from a workout. No, you don't. All whole proteins have ample amounts of BCAAs and you're just doubling up and not gaining any benefit. So, um, you know, I think it's, I think it's anyway, man, I'm now I'm on a tangent, I lost no, my train of thought, but, but, uh, I think, um, I think that's an important piece of the question when people start asking those things. So I, I'm not a fan of them and it's not a personal vendetta against them. It's because science doesn't support it. And I see zero reason to start telling people, Hey, go buy all of this crap to help you because, Oh, by the way, your nutrition plan is atrocious. And that's the thing that's actually preventing you from reaching, reaching your goals. Your goal. But, but, but go ahead and go buy these things. Study after study has shown that if you were to think of a tiered structure in a pyramid, the baseline of that structure in terms of you reaching your fitness goal is you need to have a solid nutrition plan. If you don't have that, not a supplement on the plan, and it's going to help you start to hit your goal. Right. Well, there's, yeah, no magic pill type thing. Exactly. And, and, and you know, like I said, pre-workout, man, you know, and, and maybe it is placebo to a point. Um and I'm a, I'm a pre-workout scooper. I'm not going to even BS. <laughs> um, and sometimes I feel it. And sometimes I don't, you get that little tingle, which they say that's the beta alanine, you know, attaching to the receptors and you know, da, da, da. I don't know if there's any truth to it. Um, but I actually didn't use any this year in Colorado and didn't have a problem, but you know, come back, start lifting, um, weights again and i'm you know scooping the pre-workout dry or not you know dumping it in oh it's yeah. uh yeah it's it's an interesting it's an interesting realm that we find ourselves in with it well it's i mean people spend you know the supplement industry is hundreds of thousands not even millions. that millions of dollars people are spending millions of dollars a year on supplements and we've never been more unhealthy in our lives. You explain that to me and tell me how those are benefiting people, right? I mean, it's, the you know, the small minority of elite athletes that may or may not use this makes up a, 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 an incomprehensibly small fraction of that millions of dollars. The rest of it are average Joes like us, um, who for, uh, you know, American statistics would say are largely still unhealthy because they're so focused on buying pills and supplements that they don't take any time to look, oh, you know, may maybe I should have spent the extra $30 on taking two hours of PTO at work and using that to meal prep with and take my lunch rather than burning it on uh, you know, the newest bottle of pre-workout and, 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 um, I am a little apprehensive to say this, but, and, and I will keep it at this rather than flying off of a tangent, but the outdoor centered or the, the, the supplement companies that hone in on the outdoor industry and the hunting realm, they kill me <laughs> but that is another topic for another day right and and people man they just buy that stuff by the bowl mm -hmm. yeah so um 
again, if you go back to some of the subjective stuff, if a guy tells me, Hey, I, you know, I, t- I take X, Y, and Z product and I just see such a remarkable difference. I'm never going to point at that guy and say, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. If you feel a difference and you feel like the cost justifies the expense and it's, it's, it is the thing that's taking you from point A to point B, which is where you want to be. And by all means, by all means, buy it by the box load. Yeah. Um, so anyway. no, that's awesome, man. I, you know, I, I knew you were going to go there, but I needed to hear it. Um, and a lot of this stuff I relate to myself <laughs> um, because, you know what I mean? Coming from my experience and where I'm at and I've tried, you know, I'm not going to BS it. I've tried umpteen millions. I'm not going to say million, but I've tried a lot of supplements, a lot of supplement companies. And uh, yeah, I, I agree. Whole foods um, is where it's at. I probably won't stop taking them, even though you said that. There's are a couple that I like, but placebo <laughs> or right, not, <laughs> placebo or not, man. Um, yeah. So I got a couple more things for you. I don't want to keep you terribly long. It's late, but um, earlier you had mentioned um, the extremes. You had talked, you know, a little bit of temperature. Um, so heat versus an extreme cold. Is there any difference in? how we should be looking at our nutrition on the mountain. So my early season starts at the end of July and it's typically a hundred to 115, 116. Um, yeah. Hunt in Colorado, so, we were at 30 degrees. Where, <laughs> what do we look at as far as differences there? Yeah. A, co- a few, a couple of different thoughts. You, you, you actually, I, I wrote a, a, an article for a, uh, for a nutrition research review on mountain nutrition. And this is one of the topics that I covered. You burn significantly more calories in extreme cold than you do even extreme heat. So it's important to have plenty of calories and to compensate for those. And, and whenever you're planning, planning to hunt in really cold conditions. And I think something else that's, you know, important if you're able to, or I guess, I guess better termed more appropriately, if you're willing to carry a jet boil or some type of a stove with you during your day hunts and you can eat a warm lunch, your body is going to be expending less calories having to heat itself because you've done part of the work by eating something warm. So I think that that's something important to remember in that. Now on the flip side, the biggest thing that stands out with extreme heat is you need to make sure that you're well hydrated, right? So that's, that's often a piece of it's overlooked. Everybody wants to talk about the nutrition in terms of calories, carbs, proteins, and fats, but they often will over overlook something as simple as, you know, well, I didn't perform, I, di- I didn't do well on my hunt. Okay. Well, you drew an early tag in August. Tell me why you didn't do well. I just had, I had headaches all the time. I was bloated. I was dehydrated. I felt like crap. I couldn't think clear how many calories you take? I took the number, you know, that we talked about. Did you eat them all? Yeah, I ate them all. Did you have any water? Well, I mean, I tried to drink, but like, you know, it was a desert situation. There wasn't much water. We were high up on a ridge where there wasn't any water. You had to drop down a thousand feet to filter your water. So I didn't really drink. Well, there's the problem. You need to make sure that you're well hydrated too, especially in those hot, those hot type of, um, those hot type of temps. Mm -hmm. Now, where should our water intake be if, you know, if we're, if we're spending that, you know, I think I use 4,000 calories and we're, you know, seven, seven and a half miles a day, what kind of water intake should we be looking at it? Say, you know, in the middle of those extremes. Yeah. 
that. So, you know, you could, you could get lost in the weeds measuring the amount of, you know, it's like 0.8 liters per hour of activity. You, you could get real loss trying to calculate that there's even calculations for the rate of sweat loss to compensate but for for the average guy i would say you're going to be relatively safe if you are a drinking to thirst b if your urine is if your urine is at least kind of a straw yellow to clear as opposed to being a really concentrated and stinky dark yellow um those are going to be some good measurements if you're trying to measure off of numbers you know, the usual estimation is for every calorie that you eat, you should be drinking one milliliter of fluid. So if you're drinking 4,000, or if you're eating 4,000 calories, you should be aiming to hit about 4,000 milliliters of water, which off the top of my head, I believe is about four liters. Which isn't, that's not that much. Most of the camelbacks, et cetera, come in three liters. So you're not... Yeah. Yeah. So see that, I mean, that's a good point. And that's why I feel like, you know, you can use that one calorie per ML, that one calorie per milliliter metric. But I think a, a sort of a good litmus test to that is, you know, how dark is your urine and are you, are you still thirsty yet? Right. That's a big, big problem too, is a lot of guys, they won't want to carry the weight. So they'll put in a two liter bladder and just having, you know, those drink on it all day and then they won't have anything else. And they're essentially two liters down at the end of every day. So, you know, over a seven to 10 day hunt, that can really make a big impact. Yeah, that'll blow you out. I had a, a buddy and I went out uh, that late in that early season. Um, I forgot to fill up and we were chasing a buck for him. And man, on the way down our usual water hole uh it had dried up i was i had to dig down two feet and uh find water and thank goodness there was some there but man i was i was really that was the first time in a long time that i've been scared i wasn't going to make it off the mountain um yeah i was dizzy I mean, and, oof. yeah the, yeah that dehydration thing is is nothing to play with at all i mean you know guys get worried about not having enough calories and stuff but boy you get dehydrated and, done. and hot and 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 at at a high altitude and you can be in a world of hurt and um you know those guys i mentioned earlier the exo guys uh i know that they will they will keep their water bladder and then they'll keep another collapsible platypus bottle um um with them mm -hmm. and they will stop even if they don't filter it they will stop and fill that up when they come to a creek crossing not knowing when they'll get water next and then they'll just that you know they'll have a filter with them and they'll filter it before they drink it so you know maybe they're not planning to drink it right away but it also they may not have water if they're going to the top of a raging glass so they'll just fill up another bladder at a creek crossing and keep that to filter later so that's another good sort of rule of thumb is to keep one of those yeah, ready collapsible to go. bottles with you yeah i know i i usually keep one in my pack because it, it weighs next to nothing and last year we were we were elk hunting that that mid-season hunt and we came upon a, a natural spring shooting out of the side of the mountain which you know of course needs no filtering at all and um i pulled that thing out and we all drank out of that it was great yeah there's uh yeah that like i said that was i was peeing about orange when we came off of that mountain man and there was yeah, no amount of <laughs> yeah there was no amount of water that was going to make me feel better after that i mean it i think we ended up leaving i think we ended up leaving that day because i was i was done i was absolutely done so calories or not that water was essential 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, we'll wrap it up, man. We're pushing about two hours, um, which, yeah, it's awesome. Uh, love the conversation. Why don't we drop where folks can get a hold of, uh, get a hold of you, where you at on social, website, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So the, the name of the, um, the name of the company is Valley to Peak Nutrition. So it's like you're going from a valley to a peak, but it's shorthand on all of the social media and the website as well. And it's shorthanded to uh, the letter V, the number two, uh, the letter P nutrition.com. So it's V2P nutrition.com. And there's a, a Instagram, Facebook, and then the website is V2P uh, nutrition.com. The website's got a down at the bottom of the page, it's got a little box where you can fill out if you want me to get in touch with you. If you got questions or whatever, you can drop me that. That goes to an email directly to me. And I uh, try to get in touch with people within 24 hours and help them out if I'm able to. Man, I love it's one of the best things about having it started. This is just the opportunity that it's given me to talk to guys that I never and gals that I never would have had the chance to meet otherwise and hear about adventures they've done or planned or, or whatever. I, recently worked with a gal who um she's planning to hike mount kilimanjaro down in africa sometime here at the end of the month and uh so yeah it's, it's neat to just be within earshot of to hear some of the stuff that people are doing yeah the networking is uh it's unreal man you get to live vicariously yeah. through thousands of people is just awesome exactly, yep, exactly. <laughs> so anything you want to get out there that we missed man any any closing statements etc cetera, etc cetera? Oh, gosh, I don't think so, man. I, I, I mean, I genuinely appreciate you having me on. I'm, I'm humbled anytime I'm a guest on someone's podcast. It's, it's a, I, I love the topic of nutrition. And I, you know, if people have questions, I'm more than happy to help. Absolutely, man. I appreciate your time and, um, you know, sitting down with you. So it's been a great conversation, Kyle. I appreciate you, man, and uh, hope to talk to you soon. Likewise, guy. We'll talk to you later. Thank you for listening. Follow and tag us on Instagram at Western Contours. Jump on iTunes, Google Play, and Podbean. Subscribe, leave us a comment, and don't forget to hit that five-star rating. We appreciate the support, and until next time, lay them down. Hey, everyone. This is Andrew with Sasquatch Fuel. If you're heading to the backcountry this season and you need some meals that don't bog you down, check out sasquatchfuel.com. Our 100% compostable packaging was designed to combat litter in the backcountry. For more information on conservation in action, head to sasquatchfuel.com. Hey guys, enter code Western Contours at checkout and save a few bucks off your order.